Welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. My name is Dave Wright, co-founder and editor of Player Development Project. PDP is a website for coaches who are committed to learning, and we provide a huge library of resources which consists of cutting-edge insights from the world's most innovative player developers, coach educators, and researchers. If you want to learn from the best and join a community of like-minded coaches, then check out playerdevelopmentproject.com. On this week's Player Development Project podcast, we answer a question from our community and try to offer up advice on practical problems faced by coaches around the world. Hi everyone, welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. Really pleased to be joined again by my colleague, PDP Technical Advisor, Dan Wright. Dan, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you, mate? I'm well, I'm well. Looking forward to tackling another question. And this time it comes from Nick, who's a technical director down there in Australia, and he sent it in via email as one of a number of questions from his coaches and their community down there. Uh, The question is around watching football. So how do I watch live games as a coach and what should I be looking for? So there's a couple of assumptions we've got to make, but uh, what are your sort of initial thoughts on this particular question, mate? Okay, it's good to see that the the PD message is going worldwide. Um, The the first bit for me would be, do you mean watching your own team from the sideline? Do we mean watching, you know, a, a Premier League game from the stand or do we mean watching from the comfort of our, our lounge with a, with a nice cold beer, because they're all slightly different things for me. So, um, yeah, w- which one do you want to touch on first? Look, I think we should assume this is observing live matches, you know, whether it's on the sideline, maybe he's going to watch some men's or senior football or perhaps watching their own games. Um, so I think we can discuss all three, but potentially we'll work off the assumption that it is watching live football and coaching on the sideline, because that's going to hopefully be more practically helpful. Yeah. Okay. So if we touch on sort of watching your own team first or watching a team that, that you're interested in, perhaps, you know, from your club, a different age group or something similar. So for me, the the, the fundamentals would be having that uh, crossover, that transfer from practice to games. So if we've been working on uh, playing out from the back or if we've been working on pressing, if we've been working on switching play, you know, whatever that one objective is or the two, three objectives that we have for this period of time, whether it's a week, whether it's six weeks, whether it's, you know, an identity of how the team plays, are they are they transferring that from practice, you know, from the from the midweek stuff to the Saturday and the Sunday? That would be the first thing that I would look for. Um, so, you know, for example, if you watched a, a Barca team, you know, and I know we've got this on the Masterclass discussion with Jimmy, that the Barca youth teams all the way from whatever age, but as soon as they get into 11 v 11, their 11 v 11 structure looks very similar to the first team's 11 v 11 structure. So the way they play out, the way they use the fullbacks, the way they use that, that deep lane midfielder. So maybe that sort of philosophy, that ethos, whatever word you want to use, is it consistent um, from, from training to games? Uh, would you agree with that? Would that be one of the, the first things you'd look for? Yeah, definitely. The knowledge transfer is huge. And I can provide a practical example from recent experience where we had a team preparing for one 11 v 11 game. And traditionally, they were playing 9 v 9. So, you know, they played an 11 v 11 game the week prior, and then they had a one-off game the week bef- week following, sorry, um, which they had to prepare for. And what we observed, again, going back to the observation and diagnosis and coaching, was that they really struggled to play out of the back. And understandably, because their understanding of of 11 v 11 football wasn't quite there and they were young players learning that. So, 
you know, my assistant and I, who I was working with for that particular weekend, we decided that we would do a traditional phase of play, playing out from the back the day before the game to prepare them for that so that we could help them as coaches in terms of what areas of the pitch they needed to take up to give them the best chance of playing out and playing our way. So we were able to observe one week where it was kind of a, an informal match or a friendly match and then change the plan to the following week and make sure that we were really focused on getting their positional awareness correct and understanding when they split the box or when they slide down the side of the box if they're under pressure and how the midfield three then link up and where, you know uh, fullbacks and wingers on different lines and just getting that, that knowledge into them. What we observed on the game itself um, was it was a really good knowledge transfer. Now, it didn't always come off, but positionally, players got themselves into good areas and at least gave themselves the opportunity of transferring that knowledge and, and playing out. So I think that was success in terms of observing and diagnosing what, what our team needed that particular week and, and, and the context they were working with. So definitely uh, making sure that you're seeing that transfer is key but also making sure that you're doing things like looking away from the ball. I think that's really important. So, you know, it's one thing a, a coach or a mentor of mine said a few years ago was make sure that you're not always following the ball with your eyes. So if you are watching your team or watching live games, look at what players are doing off the ball, whether that's double movements to get on the ball, whether that's clever timing, recovery runs or positional play, what areas are they getting in? And don't just focus on what's going on around the ball at all times. So, Yeah, that, that, that is a... a uh, a skill that you have to work on, I think, especially if you're watch, you know, you're used to watching football how it's presented sort of on the TV, where it's the action is the action rather than perhaps you know looking that one step ahead. So how are they going to switch the play out wide? You know, is that fullback overlapping? Is he in the right position to overlap? Mm. That's you know maybe looking one step ahead, and then maybe the, the the flip side of that is are we set up to defend? You know, you you have to look at your back four perhaps when the the number nine is travelling with the ball for that what if scenario. Um, something that I found quite useful, perhaps uh, again focusing a bit more on the process and with with younger players, is uh, using a notebook. And if you're picking maybe the, the three or four or however many individuals you, you you're comfortable to sort of focus on at once, and just using a really simple system, whichever works for you. So I've been using um, a tip for something that is definitely positive, something around their learning objective or something that's definitely effective. So maybe shots on targets, crosses. Um, entries to final third for a wide player, for example, and then uh, if they're doing something that's below the below the standard, I'd put a cross. You know, maybe um, they they were caught offside or they'd made a run too early, and then quite often I put a question mark. So the question mark would be something like um, in the 16th minute, great cross, but should this have gone back post? So it's not me telling the player that it was wrong or right. It was a question and it gives me you know, an opportunity, a window, a platform to go and have a conversation with the player. So I, I try and use the minutes of the game. So you know, we could talk about recording matches, but I'm quite keen on recording matches and, and, and using that information because I think it's very difficult to remember every action of every player. And like you said, to look off the ball, that's, that's difficult. But I'll use that cross, that tick, that question mark. And then I, you know, I've got some really meaningful feedback that I can go back with the player and say, you know, just look at these maybe five or six things and you might write 20 things for one player but that in my opinion is too much for youth players so i tend to try and focus on some highlights or some really good things that i liked that you did this some things that, that i always try and put add development point in even if they've had a you know a really really good game i try and write you know maybe a non-dominant foot or so, so there's always an area for improvement and then loads of discussion points so not positives or negatives but things that you know 
what about this? What about this? Did you see that? Um, which then I suppose you're not putting, you're not inputting what you think onto the player and yeah. it gives you that, that, that chance for, for discussion. Yeah, it's, um, it's a little bit more objective that way, isn't it? If you're recording it on the sideline, then you're not, you're not just putting your own bias or your own spin on. And I suppose that also leads into the conversation around video. And this is something that we had a fair bit of experience with in going through the A-license process within the last year or two and, and uh, sort of being exposed to the value of video analysis and, and how objective it is. So I know that it's not always easy in grassroots environment to be setting up videos and or you might not have an analyst with you or the luxury of that, but there are ways to go about it. Um, and on the website, we've got a great masterclass discussion with Simon Mead, who's a video analyst down there working in New Zealand, works with Huddle and also works with the Futsal Whites, the New Zealand national futsal team. Um, and he's done some great work um, with us on, on how you can use video in a more grassroots environment. And of course, I'd also recommend your blogs, mate, without blowing your own trumpet there. It's, uh, it's difficult, but there's some great analysis on the PD, PDP website and your own website there and some really clever clips as to how you can use video with your players. So what are your thoughts on the power of video? Because this is something you're quite active with. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm obviously a massive fan. I think just the video is... Like you said, it's a bit more objective. So if you're using clips of players and you're having conversations, sorry, clips of the, of, the, of themselves, you don't even need to have a conversation. Sometimes you yeah. just put the video on and they go, oh, why didn't I take him on there? Or why did I take that extra touch? And then the coaching's almost done. Like you, you don't have to, I don't have to say, Dave, you, you know, you need to, to, to shoot earlier in the box. I could just show you a video of five opportunities where you could have shot earlier in the box and, and the conversation's done. Um, I always, I, I think there's also a, a really powerful um, way of using, you know, elite sort of um, mentors or, or, you know, the, the, the superstars of the game to say, this is what a Champions League team are doing. This is what, you know, international players are doing. And this is what we've got to strive to. So again, if you've got someone in your group who's very strong, who's doing very well, you can still say, that's great. But, you know, Messi's here. Messi's finishing looks like this. Um, so yeah, it's a good, it's a good comparison. But in terms of, Going back to the question, I, I would always try and film games. I know on the A license when we did the, the video analysis session, I can't remember the exact stat, but it was something like most coaches only remember 20% of the game. And so I think 20% of the game plus your, you know, your, your sort of confirmation bias or your, your fixed views on how you think the game went, which can be heavily influenced by the result, um, the video sort of objectifies a lot of that. So it's not maybe diving into all of the stats, but if you lose a game 3-2 and then you, you know, perhaps after the game you think we played rubbish and, and we didn't do this and we didn't do that and we didn't do that, you can go back and perhaps when the, the emotions were removed a little bit, you can t break it down and like sort of bang on a lot. Going back to the process, you could say, well, we did do this and we did do this and there were many, many positives and perhaps the development areas were just we weren't good enough in one of the boxes yeah. rather than chucking away 90 minutes of football just because you lost. I think it's about scaffolding those good bits because especially in development football, there's going to be loads of bits that go wrong. So if you've got bits that are going well, do you just sort of keep those plates spinning and just build on it rather than when we lose, we chuck it in the bin and start again. Yeah, well, look, some great ideas there for Nick and his uh, coaches down there in Australia. Hopefully we've helped them solve a few problems around what you should be looking for when you watch the game. Dan, thanks very much for your time again, and we will look forward to another PDP Q&A very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. 
Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.